everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and this week's podcast was a, was a pretty special one for me because it covers a topic that honestly is not my best skill set, and that's hunting. In fact, there was a time when I sucked at it pretty bad, but I've gotten much better, and partly because of the lessons that I've learned from a course created by this week's special guest. And I know that no matter how experienced you are or aren't at hunting, you're going to get a lot out of these tips. So let's go ahead and get started. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. A survey once done with American households found that about 75% of all homes only had about three days of food available if there were any sort of disaster or crisis that disrupted our infrastructure. And of course, you and I both know that when the grid goes down or a disaster is headed your way, the last place you want to be is down at the local Piggly Wiggly trying to tackle your neighbor for the last box of Frosted Flakes. That's why so many smart people have already begun stocking up on survival food in order to prepare for a potential collapse. But the true survivor knows that an even better plan is to have an alternative food source available to help you extend your supplies along the way rather than being put in a position where you're hungry and at the very end of your stockpile of MREs and freeze-dried food. And besides, a true collapse could easily outlast your supplies, especially when your unprepared friends and family start knocking on the door to sponge off of you. Now, having some sort of a garden will certainly help, but you can't grow bacon. (laughs) And frankly, I don't know that I want to live in a world without meat. So if you agree, then you're obviously going to need to fine-tune your hunting and fishing skills in order to really bag some game. And that, my friends, can be especially difficult in a post-collapse world, and you're going to need all the little hunting hacks that you can collect. That's exactly what we're going to hand you right now. Hello, everyone. It's Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with me today to talk about survival hunting is my friend Eric Jameson. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Welcome to be here. Uh, this is cool. I've been, we've been, uh, we've been talking about this topic with our, with our listeners for quite a long time. I think they've, they've all been submitting questions and, and what, and I think I've got them all down here, but, um, I think we've got some really cool stuff that they're gonna love. So I'm looking forward to it. Now listen everyone, Eric is the owner and chief editor of the popular Tactical Intelligence Preparedness blog, where he's created an open form of knowledge related to emergency preparedness, personal security, modern and primitive means of survival, and self-reliance. Now, besides writing for his blog, Eric is an in-demand author for various survival publications and the creator of the award-winning Prepper Academy online training program. Now, in addition, he's also created the popular survival hunting course, which is obviously the reason I asked him to join us for this episode. Now, for more information on Eric and all of his training, be sure to visit his website at www.tacticalintelligence.net. Now, Eric... Obviously, the best weapon to hunt for game is is going to be some firearm of some kind. But 
if it's truly a survival scenario where people around you could be hungry, my fear would be that using a rifle or a shotgun could alert others to my location. And for me, I always try to lay as low as possible when we're talking about like survival scenarios. So what, what suggestions do you have for being armed enough to bring home some food, but choose a weapon that also allows me to remain invisible as much as possible to others that are in the area and avoid detection? Yeah, yeah, great question, Jeff. Um, well, first off, I just want to kind of clarify before we get too deep into this that it's important that uh, I think that we categorize here hunting not just exclusive to kind of large game like deer or deer size game. You know, really when it comes down to survival hunting, when we're talking about that kind of a term, it's really it could be any type of game, the size of a squirrel or if you're in the city, a city rat or a pigeon. Uh, so we're talking about you know, anything from the small game like squirrel size all the way up to deer, elk, uh, and, and so on. So having said that, kind of as a caveat, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, like you're saying, silent options or options where maybe detection uh, it is less than optimal. Uh, probably the most obvious and effective ones that I, that come right, right off um, the head here is, is bows. You know, we're all familiar with bows. This could be a stick bow. Uh, recurve, uh, compounds, and even crossbows, um, you know, fall under that category. Um, you know, some advantage of these obviously are their effectiveness. I mean, they've been effective for, for millennia. Uh, we have historic, uh, references of, of primitive cultures using bows for, for eons and eons here. So, uh, that's definitely an option. And I'm sure most of the people here listening are aware of those. Um, some of the things that I just wanted to kind of add to that from a, a from a bow standpoint is um, just two things. One might be the the takedown uh, recurve bow. That's an excellent option because um, not only does is it silent when it's uh, assembled, but it allows you to disassemble it to essentially give you the added benefit of concealing your intent while you're essentially going out or coming back from from the wild. So that's a that's a really um, important thing to know. And if you are a firearm, an avid firearm user like I am, and maybe bows aren't your first choice and maybe you don't have the experience, because it does take a little bit of practice to oh, yeah. get used to these things. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a crossbow, I think, is an excellent transition tool um, if you're especially used to firearms because you can get them scoped. Um, a lot of them come with a, with a shoulder stock, um, and it will be a very familiar tool to you if you're used to firearms, you know, trigger, your trigger finger and so on. Um, so it's an excellent tool there. Now, there's, but beyond, there, there's yeah, like, you know, there's there's cheap crossbows and then there's, you know, 007, you know, James Bond assassin crossbow. Like, I see a whole bunch of these things out here and I don't know one from the other. So is there anything specific, like it, generally, like you're looking for a crossbow that is, you know, fits this, you know, critical criteria? Yeah, I mean, there are some uh, kind of toy crossbows out there. Um, yeah. And really, you know, money buys quality. You know, you don't have to have the most expensive. But when you're doing some research, be sure to look for a, a hunting crossbow, uh, ones that are used specifically for that purpose. Um, so, you know, without naming any brands here, uh, definitely, yeah, just do your research with that, and you'll, you'll want to find the ones that are used for hunting. You get what you pay for. You try to cheap it out, you're probably going to, you know, just like with anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so so another thing, another tool that you definitely don't want to uh, overlook is, is air rifles. You know, and, and again, just like crossbows, you mentioned, not all air guns are, are created equal, and, um, and and not all of them are actually made for hunting. 
you know, the most common caliber uh, that come to mind here, the, the 177 and the 22 caliber. Most most people are familiar with those. Again, look for the ones that are used and are capable of taking down small game. But a lot of people actually aren't aware that there are higher calibers, like the 45 and 50 caliber air rifles, uh, that are capable of actually taking down deer-sized animals. You know, um, these are uh, they're called PCP-style air rifles, um, or preach. I think that means or stands for pre-charged pneumatic. And essentially, these things don't have a huge range. I mean, their effective range is probably out to about 40 yards, uh, but they're very effective within that range. And again, like I said, you can easily take down a deer with these things, and they're quiet. You know, they're not like loud like a, a, a rifle. Um, so the basically, if you're not familiar, again, the listeners are not familiar with PCP air rifles. Uh, essentially, what they do is they use compressed, um, essentially breathable air uh, as a propellant to, f- to fire these pellets. And typically in the past, you would use a scuba tank to fill these things up. Uh, and now in a survival situation, that's not uh, too practical for obvious reasons, you know, because once you run out of air in a scuba tank, you're pretty much out of luck. But now they sell the new modern ones. They sell actually much like a bicycle pump, either a foot pump or, or a hand pump that allows you to pump these things up to, you know, it reaches up to like 3,000 PSI, pretty crazy uh, wow. pressures here that are able to really throw these big caliber pellets out uh, to take take down deer-sized animals. So just something to think about. Um, air rifles are excellent. Um, you know, slingshots and those things, a lot of preppers mentioned those, and they're certainly great tools. Again, those type of things, because they're, they rely upon more instinctive shooting, uh, you're going to have to practice for those types of things as opposed to you know having a scope on an air rifle. That is a lot easier for people to kind of pick up and learn. And I guess the the last thing that I wanted to mention here real quick is, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the 22 rounds, uh, the LR rounds specifically, like a Ruger 1022 or, or, or a firearm like that. Um, there is ammo available that a lot of people don't realize they're called CB rounds. and Essentially, that's short for conical ball caps. And, and what they are essentially are um, cartridges that instead of having a full powder in them, they either, either have just minimal uh, gunpowder in them or just it's just the primer. And that primer um, causes enough, um, is, is enough propellant to get that round going to, you know, kill small things like squirrel. Uh, and, and animals like that, and, 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 and the report is a lot uh, quieter. And uh, I guess the final thing, too, is that certainly you can silence, you know, uh, things, you know, either rifles. Again, you want to try to silence subsonic rounds, like a twenty-two subsonic or something like that. Um, yeah, the obvious disadvantages in, in a lot of states like, like mine, uh, they're actually illegal, even with the tax stamp, or you're paying a lot of money to get these things. But there are improvised ways of, of you know making those, and you can certainly find videos, tons of them on YouTube of how to make silencers. And I'll even give uh, your listeners a little uh, a little scavenger hunt. Essentially, go out you know in the net and try to look for those silencers that you can make from um, common automobile oil filters. They're super effective, mm-hmm. uh, and they even sell adapters for them for your like your Ruger 1022 that you can get off of eBay. So I'll let you, your readers or listeners kind of do the research on their own. Yeah, that's a cool, yeah. cool idea. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, well, <clears throat> I'm I, I would I'm not really like an experienced hunter myself. Um, I'm just I've actually just started getting into hunting, mostly because I haven't lived in areas we haven't needed to. 
blah, blah, blah. I have a whole range of excuses. But I remember when I was a kid, I would always go out every year with a couple times a year with my stepfather. We would we would always go out deer hunting. It was typically like on like on, you know, Thanksgiving and stuff like that. It was a special thing that I did with him. The thing is, every like the entire all those years that I ever went out with him, not one time. And I and I mean that literally not one single time did we ever even see anything to shoot at. And so in in your survival hunting program, you well and I say and I say that now because where I live in Texas, I live in like a petting zoo. Like I could I bet while we're talking here, I could look out my window and I and I know there's going to be deer. In fact, right now the uh the deer are starting to grow their antlers and everything and they've got they've got some pretty good sized racks on it. But they could come by here, I could probably spit at one and hit them in the eye. So that's how close they get right. now. But sure. in your survival hunting program, you say that you need to, to learn how to tune all of your senses into the game that you're going after. So what are some of those tricks that you can share about how to do this to better locate game so I'm not just another fool wandering around in the wilderness with a sharp stick trying to skewer some food? Yeah, yeah, good question. Uh, I think the major thing really is to, you know, if you're talking about, you know, not being able to see the animals, uh, and it could be a number of factors, but the major thing is really to be already where the animals are or going to where they are. And this really, really requires a couple things. Um, first is really to get out there and scout the area. Um, and, and second is once you're out there scouting is to really understand and learn their patterns, you know, uh, the animal patterns, what track and sign looks like, you know, what they eat, what their behaviors are, and, and so on. So the, the thing with animals and, uh, is they tend to follow very distinct patterns, certain ruts, you know, that they do day-to-day. And, and human animal is no different, really. And there's certain ha- these patterns of habit that if you can learn to understand them, uh, they can completely tilt the hunt completely in your favor. So really when it comes down to it, if you think about it, these habits um, revolve actually around really two primary drivers, and that's food reproduction. So uh, it's these two drivers actually that that help you determine, you know, where they are and where they're going to be. So uh, in going back to kind of the initial question, while most of these kind of things have to be absorbed while you're out in the wild, uh, you can actually learn a lot of these things prior to going out even. Um, so, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Eric, you know, I didn't have the opportunity that you had to kind of have a mentor. We went out every day and, and, and learn these kind of skills, you know, how do I learn that? And the the best way that I have for them, because my mentor actually didn't have a mentor, is to, to learn first from, from uh, the resources that are out there. Uh, so you can actually shortcut quite a lot of this through studying the right kind of resources. And just to give you some examples, you know, some of them are uh, animal-specific, like hunting books. You know, there's tons of them on Amazon, really excellent books written by um, extremely uh, um educated and, and, and experienced hunters that tell you everything about their behavior, about these two things, you know, what they're interested in eating, um, you know, the times of the rut for the deer or, um, you know, what certain calls or, or sounds draw in animals and so on uh, to really help you get into the minds of your quarry. Um, you know, other things are animal behavior books, like things like Peterson's um, Guide to um, North American Animal Behavior. That's an excellent book. That I've used quite extensively, uh, field guides on tracking and even field guides on scat. Now, scat is essentially, um, you know, animal crap. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, understanding even what the 
proper scat looks like can help you understand who's in the area uh, and so on. And it's really a, a, a giant connected, uh, interconnected web. Once you understand one animal, it helps you to understand another. Once you understand the predator, it helps you to understand the prey. And also the, the plants helps you understand where, the, where um, the herbivores are and all those things. They all interconnect. So the more knowledge you can have about that, the better you are. And so I'm mean, going back to our program, actually. Um, a friend of mine, Danny, and I have created that. And we go through a lot of those common types of um, scenarios and common types of things to look out for for various animals, everything from a squirrel all the way up to a, a deer and everything in between. So it's definitely a good resource as well, the, the hunting program, without putting some kind of shameless, too much of a shameless plug here. But uh, I really, um, you know, we spent a lot of uh, time to make a quality product, so I'm hoping that's a big help for them as well. Yeah. So really, as far, again, it's really getting out there, practicing uh, some things. If you have kids, take them out, you know, on outings. You, Jeff, you and I both have kids. Mm-hmm. They love the outdoors. It's a great time to take them out and really make it a game to, to discover these tracks, discover the various plants and identify them and all those kind of things, um, you know, and so on. So the, the final caveat to that is, yeah, it sounds kind of overwhelming. In a survival hunting situation, the more of these skills you have, the better off you are. But in the survival hunting scenario as well, there's a lot of rules that you don't need to follow as well. So, Things like spotlighting, um, if you're familiar with that, they work for many animals. It's essentially shining any bright light. Um, if you've ever heard of the term deer in the headlights, that's where this comes from. And it works for mammals, birds, and even fish. When spearfishing, you can spotlight them using you know, a, a little waterproof flashlight put in the water, and, and they'll get caught in this light. You can use that for spearfishing. So, um, you know, understanding, being able to work with the, the rules that we have currently with hunting, makes you all the better of a hunter when, you know, the, the rules are no longer um, there and need to be followed. So just an interesting um, tidbit there. Yeah, and, that's, and that sounds like, um, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good little kind of step-by-step sort of thing, too. In fact, I mean, like, if you're if you're out wandering around or whatever and you you get to know your area, and if you see scat, and if you can identify what kind of animal it's typical to, then, and then you can also like around, around mine, I know we have fox and I know, um, you know, I know what the scat looks like. I, I can tell by what's in it, like what they eat. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, if you, if you know, like they're eating juniper berries or something like that, then, you know, you can, you can go to areas where there's junior, or if you look around, you see that there's a bunch of scat in a certain area, you know, that's an area that, they they tend to come to and everything. So yeah. this this allows you to really kind of um you know kind of figure out where are those food resources you know when you're walking around and things like that and then where are they congregating or like deer beds and things like that you know if you have tall grass and you see deer beds so that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, go ahead. Go ahead. So, I was just saying yeah just really understanding those two two drivers it, it's food and production can can make a world of a difference. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, we've been talking to Eric Jameson of TacticalIntelligence.net about his best survival hunting hacks. And I have a lot more secrets that I'm going to wrestle out of you, man. So uh, we've got a lot more coming up, including questions about how to bag game when you don't have the benefit of long-range accuracy, survival fishing, and Eric's best advice on how to land the big one, and what his survival hunting research and experience has taught him about simply surviving in a post-collapse world where you might be the prey. 
Now that and a lot more is coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Eric Jameson of TacticalIntelligence.net talking about his best tips, tricks, and tactics for survival hunting in a post-collapse world. Now, we've only just begun pulling these secrets out of Eric's head, and I've got a lot more pulling to do, so let's go ahead and jump back in. Uh, Eric, it's, it's possible that someone may not have the advantage of a firearm to go hunting or, or maybe chooses not to use it for reasons of like avoiding detection by others or something like that. But the, the reality is that if someone is forced to use alternative weapons for hunting, like a bow or a spear or something like that, it's going to require getting really close to the prey. So what are some tricks for closing the distance so that you're within range for a shorter range weapon? Yeah, really the key to close range hunting is, is um, to think about it, two things. It, it's staying still and having the animal come to you. Um, so, you know, for example, there's plenty of fantastic camouflage clothing out there, and you can find pretty much every pattern to, to match the specific area that you want to hunt. If you can't stay still, you know, you're not, you're not going to be successful when it comes to hunting. So stillness is, I think, the number one important um, tool to have in, in, your, in your knapsack, so to speak, when it comes to hunting. And then it comes down to understanding what the quarry's strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to their senses. So, for example, deer, you know, they have these um, huge radar dish ears and they have these this incredible sense of smell. That's the primary uh, sense is smell. Incredible sense of smell beyond that even of a bloodhound. Um, and so, you know, trying to trick them with their, their strengths is often very difficult. So you need to kind of learn to work around their strengths like a deer's smell and hearing by camouflaging your sense, by, um, you know, staying still again to, to, to avoid hearing and, and actually using um, uh, their weaknesses, which is sight. You know, their, their sense of sight isn't great. As long as you're still, you can even be without camouflage just sitting in front of a, or, you know, slightly behind a tree uh, and, and they wouldn't notice you as long as you're still. But if they catch uh, the, the slightest uh, whiff of your scent, they're, they're gone, you know. 
Whereas turkey, they're a completely different animal. They're, well, how do you hold, hold on eyes. one second? So how do you so how do you mask your scent? Like I know they've got like you know like Bigfoot urine or whatever on the on the shelves of Cabela's and, and Bass Pro, but yeah. you know I, I remember I remember that Native Americans used to like. Um, like be like they used to stand in front of the fire, and I guess the smoke. I guess I, I don't even know if that's true or not. I think probably maybe I saw it on some Western movie or something. But is there a, a kind of um, an alternative way of of masking your scent for like in, in this type of scenario? Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about the native way, um, definitely for a lot of the native technical skills that they would use would be actually fasting. They would fast for a while um, to kind of rid their bodies of. of of the food they were digesting, they'd stand in front of in the fire. They'd go through a sweat lodge. We could use even a modern spa, like a, um, a steam bath or something like that nowadays to help with that and fast and get that out. So they would do a lot of that before the hunt to, to get rid of, try to get most of the, the smell out and use really pungent types of aromatic plants like juniper you, you mentioned, uh, crushed juniper or crushed pine um, leaves or uh, sweet farm that we have out here. A lot of that stuff you can rub on your clothing and under your armpits and try to get as much of that smell out. You know, really the realistic thing, and I guess even to the modern methods like you mentioned, um, trying to mask your smell, when it comes down to it, deer sense of smell is so phenomenal that they'll even uh, detect the smallest minute changes. So you have to kind of still be aware of where the wind is. You know, are, are you downwind or upwind of, of, of the animal? Um, you know, you want to stay obviously uh, downwind of, of the deer and so on, and try to use that as much to your advantage. But in combination with a lot of those things to to guard and camouflage your scent, you know, because you want to get them as close to you as possible. You know, the last second they might smell you still, even if you're doing all those precautions. But you've got them within five yards as opposed to thirty yards or twenty yards, and they've detected you and they're gone just because of a slight wind change or something. But does that make sense? It, it does. Let me ask you this, because I mean, in the military, you know, our the best time that we used for attack was the worst conditions that were out there. I mean, because look, mm-hmm. you know, even even if you know you're dealing with humans, which you know, obviously in the in in the military, that's what I I dealt with. You know, my 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 biggest my best um, sense that I always use for detecting enemy was my hearing. Because no matter how much you try and, you know, move through a forest or even urban areas, like your hearing can really pick it up. Now, that's for humans. Now, for a deer that has, you know, really powerful um, ears, it's going to be even worse. But when when we would go on missions and things like that, the best time that we would go out would be like if it was raining, if it was windy outside or something like that, because then it was masked. So, you know, I I, I have probably I would assume kind of the same thing. You know, people might think, well, it's raining outside. It's not a good day to go hunting. No, it, that seems to me like it might be like the best time because now your sound is masked more. Um, the vision is masked more, if it's, especially if it's raining. Except in a small area. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That does definitely help. Um, depending on how severe the rain is, um, you know, the, the deer might be better down. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, if we're talking about deer in this case or other animals, typically they try to stay out of the extreme weather conditions, the extreme mm-hmm. hot, the extreme cold, the extreme uh, rain and so on. They'll, they'll typically um, be bedded down. Um, so, yeah, but you can certainly use uh, climate and, and weather to your advantage as well, just like you mentioned with the human animals. So, yeah. Yeah, good good point. Now, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you were bringing up turkey, I think, before. We do have turkey around where I live, and they're like, 
you know, they're out in the fields, but they certainly are, are they spook pretty easy. So did you have a... They do. Yeah, so turkey is one of those animals that, you know, you're going to have a really hard time uh, trying to stalk and sneak up to. I mean, their eyes are fantastic. It, it's gears, smell, it's sense of smell is really good. Turkey's eyes aren't easy, better than, than humans. And they have decent hearing as well. The smell, not so much, you know, so that's their weak, weak point. So really with them, it, it's, again, staying still and, and trying to have the animal come to you. So it, again, here we come back to understanding the animal's behavior and really learning as much as you can about the different animals in your area, um, what drives them to move. And, again, it comes down to reproduction and food. So a lot of those things on the market, as well as what you can make at home, um, different animal calls is based off of reproduction. So uh, if we think about deer, you know, uh, mimicking grunts, the grunt of another buck. Uh, typically it's a, a mid-level grunt that a large buck will try to come charging to, saying, hey, who's this young buck trying to, you know, encroach in on my territory or fawn boots that will bring a lot of the does or even bucks. Antler rattling, you know, it sounds like deer fighting. And what's funny with that is, you know, uh, every creature seems to come to that because, uh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like... It's the UFC, it's the UFC of the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody wants to see the fight. That's right. right. So antler rattling is an excellent tool to bring, not just deer, but other animals as well. Hmm. And that's the thing, too, is like survival hunting, it's kind of advantageous in one way because... You know, you're not after a specific trophy animal or size. You're just after food, you know. So whatever comes, you take it, you know. So yeah. whatever you can use, if it brings another animal, hey, more power to you. So yeah. w- w- that's deer, you know. Turkey is another one. Uh, the gobble, again, for the same reason, a, a grunt. It brings in the males. You know, hen calls also brings in the males. So these are reproduction type of things, either defending territory for reproduction purposes or trying to reproduce, you know. Uh, turkey, because of their eyes, we talk about their strength. You can use that to your advantage. So visual stimulation, you know, putting a, 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 um, a decoy jake, which is a young male, around a, a couple of decoy hens. This is really going to piss off the, the big the big uh, uh, toms in the area, and they're going to come running in, you know, and so that you, you can use that for your advantage. Uh, predators, also mimicking, like, distressed animal calls. And it could be something as simple as, uh, I don't know if you can hear this, but... You know, sucking into your hand, creating, making the sound like a, 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 a distressed animal that will bring in a lot of predators. So, again, um, it's all centered around those two things, reproduction and food. And the final thing is baiting, if we're talking about food. You know, this is typically you want to put out for bait something animals rarely get out in the wild. You know, this could be uh, corn or apples, something that's a real treat uh, for animals, or roadkill for, for predators, different things like that, hanging out above um uh, above, like a, an overhanging branch or something, bringing in things that will um, attract the animals for those two purposes of reproduction and food. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the easiest game to catch would be fish if you're near like a body of water. Obviously, that that's big enough for fish. But I'm sure even the best fishermen out there have had their days of like casting a line all day long and not even getting a nibble. Now they say that a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, but if your life depends on bringing home a significant catch, you really can't afford to have one of those bad days where you're casting a line all day. So what are some, some fishing hacks, if you will, that you can share with us to increase our chances of, of landing that big one? Yeah, actually, you know what? One of the ones that I um, really got teed on by, by you, Jeff, was 
um, the yo-yo reels. You know, I learned this about from you um, a couple of years back, I think, in one of your publications. And since then, I've had the chance to test them out. And so, um, yeah, they're they're excellent. So for the listeners actually on, on the call here that um, might not be familiar with the yo-yo reel, essentially what it is is just this metal uh, spring-loaded reel that has fishing line attached to it so you can kind of reel it out, out of, of the spool and, and at a determinate length lock it and then typically you place the, the reel. I've seen some people put it in the water, but, uh, you know, I haven't had too much effectiveness and I don't want to ruin mine, so I put it outside of the water, an anchor point like on a overhanging branch or uh, attached to some like sapling or something like that. But essentially, it's you pull out some uh, certain length of, of line and you place that in, in the water with, uh, you know, a weight and a hook and bait or something like that. And it works especially well uh, for, for bottom feeders like catfish um, or if, if you have a, a place over the water um, that's deep enough, you can kind of reel out just enough length to put it halfway through the water. But the great thing about it is that you can set it and forget it. You know, this is kind of a force multiplier. We haven't gotten into traps too much here, but those also fall under this um, under this category. But essentially, the ability to set a number of these out in the various areas of water and, and just bait them and let them do their magic. And so basically, when a fish comes along, they, they grab the bait, pull on the hook, and it, and it uh, triggers this, this reel to start to wind the fish in. And what's great is they'll want the fish will struggle and struggle and struggle and finally give up and the, the reel will wind them in, but it will only wind them as far, um, you know, they won't bring them out of the water. So the fish will actually stay fresh for you and you can come back, you know, a day, two days, three days later versus like a trap on the, on the, um, or a snare that you set out in the wilds can be easily taken by another wild animal. So that's kind of one trick that I learned from you, Jeff, actually, that's a fantastic tool that I definitely would recommend uh, the listeners. Another kind of cool little hack that I learned uh, from one of my mentors was um, roadkill. And what I mean by that is that you can find, if you find roadkill, you know, obviously on the road or in the wild, or even hunt an animal, a uh, small animal that you'd like to get a lot of fish from, you can actually hang this roadkill um, you know, over an overhanging branch or tree that, that hangs over a part of the water. And essentially, as the animal begins to rot, uh, the flies will come and they start to lay their eggs in there. And as the eggs hatch and form maggots, the maggots eventually fall um, out of the animal into the into the water. And they'll start to progressively fall and repeatedly more and more and starts to bring in a lot of fish. So if you have a line sitting in the water at that time or one of the gilio reels, then you're going to have a lot more success. So um, that's kind of a little uh, trick that, um, that you might want to test out. Yeah, I I love that tip. <laughs> that one always always stuck with me. I mean, it's easy to get that visual of some rotting, you know, carcass um, kind of feeding the fish down below that are just waiting for the next thing to come through. I love that. The other thing that's worked out well for me, like with the yo-yo reels, is to use a um, it's called a speed hook. Uh, this guy makes them and. They're actually considered illegal in some states because they work so well. And basically, it's a spring-loaded, a spring-loaded hook, so that when a, um, a fish nibbles on it, it like springs open and basically um, latches on them. And it just it works good. It's another one of those like set it and forget it. Like you don't have to worry about jerking back on a line like you, like you're regularly fishing. Right. So that's a cool thing no, too. Cool. I get to pick that up. Yeah. Um, listen, I I know you're. You're also into helping people prepare for any type of a survival scenario, not just hunting. And we talk a lot about not wanting to be discovered by other people during a wide-scale collapse or other survival scenario because 
those other people could try to beg, borrow, or steal your supplies, and authorities could also try and confiscate things like your weapons or, or other gear that you might be depending on. So from from what I've been able to see for myself, there's a lot of crossover with what we're talking about and knowing how to be like invisible the game that you're hunting and knowing how to escape and evade detection from humans as well. So let me ask you this, after, you know, going through with your mentor and learning all these different skills and everything and developing your survival hunting program, what would you say are, are some of the most critical like escape and evasion skills that you could teach someone that they could apply to a post-collapse survival scenario using kind of some of these same type of things that you've learned from survival hunting? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And, um, I mean, you're right on. I mean, those, those skills and a lot of what you learn in the wild with regards to hunting can uh, easily apply to, again, the human animal as well. So yeah, just if you think about it, you know, if you've gained enough skill to essentially successfully stalk and hunt uh, four-legged animals or super-aware animals like turkey and so on, who essentially they make a, their living you know, being extremely aware of their surroundings and so on, and they know and, and live in that environment 24-7. If you can be successful in that type of environment, and now you're required to evade or even have to forbid hunt uh, uh, one of your two-legged brothers and sisters. It's going to be so, so much easier than the animals, you know. So we're talking about wilderness setting here. So there's definitely easy crossover there. Um, so we can see those parallels, you know, the camouflage, the tracking, um, being able to understand traps enough to counter-track as well, you know, the, the, the importance of staying still, like we talked about, um, the understanding of camouflage and what creatures see and what they don't see. It also applies to humans as well. Uh, and this, this easily translates into creating your own camouflage hides and so on. Uh, again, here we're talking about the, the, the wilderness setting here. But, you know, a lot of people, like you're asking, in general, escape and evasion, we can talk about wilderness, but how, how does that apply to the urban environment? Well, um, you know, it, it, again, in that program that Danny and I developed, uh, like you mentioned, we, we go over these key strategies for all these different types of animals. And, and the big takeaway that we try to instill upon, um, you know, those who, 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 who take the program is that you really have to study and learn about those animals. But in the same vein, humans, they actually have their own individual behaviors as well. And so you need to really learn and understand what uh, the common behaviors and patterns are um, for, for humans. And a lot of us are, actually are just by living in society, you know, but also understanding what, what's common in your area. So you, you had a, a recent guest, he was a friend of mine, Kevin Reed, on a, a number of times. Yep. Um, and he talks a lot about baseline, you know, so baseline, um, that concept actually originally comes from um, the wilderness setting. In the, for example, the more time you spend out in nature, and really just sitting silently, the more you get yourselves attuned to what the baseline is. Essentially, baseline is the 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 feeling or tone or movement, the sounds and so on. All these the normal, um, I guess, baseline for that time and place. And it changes over time within the day as well as throughout the season. So the more you become attuned to that, the easier you can become attuned to something that disturbs that, that baseline. So instantly you can become aware of um, and avoid those disturbances if, if need be as well. So, you know, I, I learned this concept actually uh, from another mentor, and Kevin actually teaches that quite a bit as well. Um, but, you know, I've seen that, you know, when I was in college, there was a time when I was living out in uh, throughout the summer in a kind of a 
semi-survival uh, situation where I live off the land a little bit, and just that's where my uh, where I lived in the, the summer times in the college was out, out in the mountains of Utah. And uh, I really got attuned to this baseline up to the point where you know near my camp there was this walking path um, where a lot of people would run, a lot of the college kids or uh, some of the adults with dogs and stuff would come by, and I was able to really know uh, a minute before someone was coming, that they were coming down the path before I could hear or see them based on how like the, the birds reacted. I could see in the distance and birds flying up uh, to the trees to, you know, because they were pushed out of um, their normal baseline feeding um, uh, state. And so I could see from that just being observant and how that essentially, the concept called concentric rings from that point of disturbance, how it, it projects out from that source and, and and, and hits me, and I could see that. So that gave me enough time to kind of sneak away into the woods and avoid the detection. So that concept, and Kevin's really good at um, being able to see this, but being able to see this in an urban area. You know, I haven't fully trained myself on that and I'm trying to practice more and more, but these, this baseline, concept of baseline and concentric rings is also occurs in urban environments. But again, you've got to first understand what's normal, and that, that implies what the baseline is. So, again, you have to learn to pay attention. And it, the best way to do this is really just, again, sitting in these various environments, in the urban environment, like in various stores or shopping malls or whatever it might be, and just observing. You know, what are people doing? What do they notice? You know, what are they overlooking? Um, if you're looking at your area, what are the, the police or military patrol routines? Or what are the high traffic times or low traffic times? What um, other different events that are planned and how do people react to different things like that. And like, for example, before I, I walk into like a gas station or a, a public location, I like to, or a public building, I like to try to look through the glass doors or the windows to try to notice any body language that seems out of place. You know, and we're all uh, familiar and very aware of that. You know, what looks out of place from a body language standpoint? You know, are the people relaxed or are they nervous? Or is their attention focused and so on? So, I can be aware of that before entering into that building. So, again, I really think it comes down to baseline. Once you can understand this baseline, uh, whether it's that wilderness setting or an urban setting, you can learn to move uh, within it as well as around it. And so this will ultimately allow you to avoid uh, detection, escape, and evade any potential predators, you know. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we we talk a lot about that. I've talked a lot about that with Kevin, and um, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that takes a mental shift for people to really think about. We, you know, most people just walk around kind of like a zombie all day and don't really think about that stuff. Um, but right. it's very powerful once you really start kind of meditating with it and really kind of you know getting getting that down and consciously uh, bringing yourself to that point where. You know, you're more aware of your surroundings. We talk about that even like in firearms, you know, being aware of your surroundings and things like that. But as much mm-hmm. as people talk about it, I don't think a lot of people do it. So it's definitely right. something that people should do as, I think, an exercise, you know, like you're doing. You know, go to the mall and, and just watch it or go in the wilderness and just sit there. You know, don't feel like you have to stomp around in the woods, but just sit there and listen to the sounds of where you're at. And I guess that's where, you know, that's where I think we'll we'll, let, we'll leave off here is um, with the action steps for people is, you know, I think I think a good way to take this stuff and start to put it to use without just grabbing your rifle and, and heading out into your, you know, your backyard or your, your nearest wooded lot is to start to get that baseline down. But then also look around for signs of game. What, what game do you have in your area? Because if you don't have turkey in your area, it's not going to do you any good to go get turkey decoys and set them up in the field. So, 
it makes sense to kind of do a study of your area. Like what, what do you notice? I would say even like get a notebook and, and your smartphone or whatever and look, actually look for, you know, game scat and, um, start taking pictures and look it up and see what it is. And then, you know, see what, what food is in there or what birds do you notice in your area? What are the, just watch one bird for a while, you know, like are, are these type of birds and, and find out what are their behaviors or, you know, things like that. What bodies of water do you have around you? Maybe that ones that you don't even know about. I mean, get, like get a topographical map of your area and, uh, and check that out. I think there's a lot you can probably even do just with, you know, topography and knowing how animals, I know like there's, you know, there's deer trails on my property, you know, they, they tend to kind of go, you know, I guess along one path, you know, I mean, they have, they're all over the place, but they they probably have their habits too, just like people do. You yeah, know, the highways. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, I think that's like a good action point. There is to grab a notebook, start studying your area. What's your baseline? What do you notice? Start making notes of all that stuff, and that's just good practice. And if you have a, like, if you do, if you do have a plan B survival retreat, which I, you know, hope, hope people are at least think not like, you, not like you need a bunker, but just like, if you had to get up and leave, what is some place that's going to be 75 to 150 miles away? That would be a better like plan B safe zone. If you were forced to, you know, leave your home, same thing goes for there. That could have totally different game there and totally different bodies of water that you may not know of. You know, what do you know about that area? And so I think you can really take this as, um, there's a lot of great tips in here, and a lot of it are skills that people just don't naturally think of. Being still, God, I mean, everybody's so busy. Who the hell is still anymore? You know, but yeah, you know, it's yeah. just stuff like that. Just paying attention. That um, you know, who the hell pays attention anymore? Right. So, but it's you know, it's just stuff like that. So, Eric, awesome stuff, man. I mean, this is um, I have to, I haven't read the whole program yet. I've checked out some different things in in the uh, in the program, and it's. And it's really, really cool. I mean, there's some great information in there. And especially for me, who's who's not an avid hunter, but would like to know how, um, there's a real shortcut in here for people, whether you're an expert or whether you're a total beginner, um, this is kind of like the cheat sheet. You know, that's what I consider. This is like a, this is like years and years, decades of experience with the people that created this program of like their best survival hunting tricks. And um, this is going to really, you know, help you to fast track your training when it comes to this type of uh, stuff. So you definitely want to definitely want to check out that program and make sure that you go over to Eric's website. Check out all of his training there uh, that he's got. He does a lot of video, too. He's really good with um, explaining things. and He's got some great video stuff over there. So definitely go check out his website at www dot dot net. So uh, so, Eric, thanks so much for coming out today, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Sir. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, everyone, uh, that wraps it up for today. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.